at work. I'm Chris Garlock here with Ed Smith on today's show, as you just heard on the news, pushing to extend the unemployment insurance benefits. We'll have Judy Conti, Government Affairs Director at the National Employment Law Project, to talk about that. Protect Worker Wednesdays and the Maryland Essential Workers Protection Act with Chris Stevenson. He's an analyst for 99 SEIU. Also, very special Solidarity Forever with Pete Seeger and a very special guest. We'll tell you more about that in a little bit. And Reunion, how bold labor reforms can repair, revitalize, and reunite the United States with David Madlin. He's a senior fellow and strategic director of the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. All that's coming up, but first... It's our last week, folks. It's our winter pledge drive. Give us a call. What's that number, Ed Smith? Hey, give us a call. Hey, by the way, uh, very light topics today. (laughs) I know. know. Sorry about that, man. (laughs) No, that's what we're here for. And that's uh, why we want you to pledge. And uh, if you like this stuff, that's what you uh, will continue to get. So call us up if you're in the area code, 202. 588-9739 out of the area code 1-800-222-9739 also on the web wpfwfm.org and if you got a cash app on your phone uh oh my i forgot it's it's dollar sign wpfw very good yeah it did that by memory by no cues no cues but it's good good to see you hey by the way my mom got her first vaccination shot on my Woo-hoo. birthday on Monday, March 1st. Happy birthday. And, happy birthday. Yep. She said it and she, down in Florida and she said it went smooth as silk. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Hey, reminder, folks, anybody gives 150 or more uh, can get a very special thank you gift, a concert with our very own right here, Ed Smith. Of course, uh, Ed, Ed, I don't know. Are you a little rusty? You haven't been playing out lately, have you? I have not been playing out, but I've been playing regularly over over Facebook on a private event that has about 250 people listening. I've learned, my God, probably 90 new songs. 90? So all fun. right. All right. So, so I'll do a half an hour for you, half an hour concert. You can take a look at my song list and uh, pick five, six, seven songs, and I'll do it for you. We can... However you want to do it, uh, aside from I'm not coming to your house and you're not coming to mine, but <laughs> but if you pledge 150, I'm, I'll be excited to to perform. Be a blast. Beautiful. All right. It's a very special uh, thank you gift. There. Hey, 202 there are hoodies too, right? 9739. There are hoodies. I know you want to talk about the hoodies before we get to the show. Go ahead. Well, I, don't know, I don't know much about the hoodies. I was hoping you'd uh, say that. I saw some sort of photo, but I didn't really... I didn't have time to really kind of research it, Chris. I, I'm, I apologize to you and the audience. 
<laughs> I tell you what, maybe we'll get Jerry Paris and talk nah. about the hoodies. Uh, so you don't know about the hoodies bit. either. That well. I know they're cool. I know I'm trying to get a couple for you and me. Uh, <laughs> okay. and I know that all the listeners are going to want them. I think it's a limited edition kind of a thing, folks. So uh, get them before they're gone. Uh, but anyway, hoodies, uh, you know, it's going to be a great thing. You can show your pride in WPFW. You can stay warm. You can look cool. That's that's three for three. So, and I think that's an $89.30 pledge, if I'm not I, mistaken. I can give you the Jerry will tell me how wrong I am. 89.3. Get it? 202-588-9739. Uh, we've got a goal of 750 this hour, folks. So jump in and, and uh, let's help knock that goal down. All right. Uh, you just heard at the top of the hour, uh, the Senate is in the midst of debating this uh, very large, very necessary, very urgent relief package. And uh, one of the things that might have sort of slipped by you is that there is a big problem uh, with that bill. And it's not the fact that the Republicans, in their wisdom, are, are forcing them to read the whole thing, although that, you know, <laughs> don't, don't get me started, Ed Smith, but... Uh, no, there's a, there's a serious problem with it, and to do that, uh, we turn to uh, somebody that we have had on many, many times. She might as well. In fact, I think, uh, Judy, you have co-hosted here, if I'm not mistaken, right? I have, and it's, it's been a while, and I hope I get to do so again sometime soon. All right. That's well, course. once Chris fires me, you can you can. Oh, listen, I, I, I can't hold a candle to you, but it's an awful lot of fun when oh. you can't do it to be there in your place. He's a so volunteer. Unfair. I don't think I can fire a volunteer, can I? <laughs> and, and then, and then, Judy, you'd probably represent him. So this is a... <laughs> <laughs> Judy Conti, of course. She's government affairs director at the National Employment Law Project, where I imagine you guys have had a busy year, right, Judy? Uh, that's that's putting it mildly. Yes, there's <laughs> been right. a lot going on with the transition to a new administration who actually cares about workers and uh, doing what we can to help push through a good unemployment insurance package. And, and we've had our disappointments with minimum wage so far, but we're going to keep fighting and we're not giving up. Oh, man, I tell you what, uh, well, we could talk about that a little bit later when we get on this point. The minimum wage has got me, has got me so upset. But let's talk about this, uh, this UI thing, which popped up. I thought we were good on this, but uh, they, 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 I just heard it was on the news. They're, they're going to go through, uh, through August. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, so for those of you who live and breathe with the, the congressional calendar, you know that they go on recess in August. Um, and, right. and, you know, some of it's their vacations. Everybody is entitled to vacations, but it's also work periods at home. So I don't want to be, you know, sort of uh, sloppy with it and say they're just all on vacation the whole month. They do a lot of work at home. But they are not in D.C. from the end of July through the Memorial Day weekend which means nothing gets voted on. And Labor, Day, uh, Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend, excuse me. How could I get that one wrong of all things? On good this catch, show? yeah, good catch. Oh, shows you how, how, how fried my brain is these days. Um, <laughs> so nothing, nothing gets voted on. So if these programs end at the end of August, that means we either need to make sure they're reauthorized by the end of July before Congress leaves, or we have to accept the fact that they're going to, to lapse for a while. And if you remember, they lapsed in December because uh -huh. they weren't reauthorized quickly enough. And there are dozens of states that still don't have their programs fully back up and running yet. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it just disappears for a week or two and then, then things are back on. Our state unemployment programs are a mess. They don't have the infrastructure to move nimbly around these turning ons and turning offs. And it means that people will be out without benefits for two to three months. 
And there's just nothing good, nothing progressive, nothing right about that. So we are pushing like crazy at this last minute to make sure that all of the unemployment insurance programs go through the end of September, which means they have to go to October 3rd because they they trigger on Saturdays and Sundays. So um, our, our goal is to impress upon people the importance of making sure the programs don't lapse before October 3rd so that Congress will be back for a month and have time to actually reauthorize the program. We expect it will have to be part of the next reconciliation bill. Pro- the process of that will certainly start before September, uh, before they leave for the August recess. But you know, we've seen it's a long, complicated process, and the next bill could be even more difficult to get through. So uh, we have to make sure we build in enough time that we're not guaranteeing that the programs will lapse and workers will be without any income at all if they're still unemployed. So I got two quick questions. I'm sure Ed has one, too. First of all, why is this not a slam dunk? I mean, you're talking about basically a month difference, right? I mean, that's a, that's not even a rounding error over there on Capitol Hill, right? Uh, right? No, it's $42 billion. It's more than a rounding error. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. All right. So there's a, there's a dollar amount attached. There is a dollar amount because they're you. not only extending the length of time you'll be eligible, they are adding enough weeks to make sure that you will get benefits through all of those I see. Weeks. I yes. see. All right. I, All I right. should have been clearer with that in the beginning. And yeah, $42 billion, even in a $1.9 trillion bill, isn't a rounding error. And we've, we've got a particular problem with this bill. It, when, when a bill goes through what we call regular order, like what happened in December, um, Republicans there were saying we won't go above $9 billion, $900 billion. But that was an artificial number that they put on the negotiations. There was nothing that, that mandated Congress couldn't spend more than that. But when you use this reconciliation process and you can pass something with only 50 votes, if it is directly related to the federal budget, then the first step of the process is Congress has to say, there is this much money in this bucket. There is this much money in that bucket. And you can't go above those uh, levels. So there's an entire bucket basically for things that are tax related. um, And UI is one of those things. And, um, you know, there's just stimulus checks are in that same bucket, uh, refundable tax credits for low income families are in that bucket. There's a lot of things in that bucket. So as you decide to do more of one thing, you have to have less of of another thing somewhere. And we lost them. We all along, President Biden had been calling for benefits to go through the end of September But at the very last minute, when all of this was introduced in the House, we lost a month of UI benefits uh, because the the plan to um, further target target stimulus payments wasn't acceptable to too many people. So it was just easy to lop off a month and and pay for it. Uh, Let me yield to uh, to Ed, because we've only got a couple more minutes with you, Ed. Well, you know, on first blush. Uh, this idea is not a progressive idea. It's 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 an every every man idea, every woman idea. But I, now having you explain it a lot more, it's kind of it reminds me of what we deal with when we're talking about health care in the mm-hmm. District of Columbia. That okay, mental health care for poor people, we're going to not give as much because we've got to give something else somewhere else, and it always becomes a a, a battle of what part of the poor people are we going to take away from program? Mm-hmm. Am I missing something or am I kind of hitting it? 
No, I mean, you're hitting it. Look, in December, the, the Gang of Eight, the bipartisan group of senators, they came to an agreement that would have given us 16 more weeks of unemployment insurance. But then when it went to, you know, the leadership of the House and the Senate and Mitch McConnell got involved, all of a sudden we were down to only 11 weeks of UI. And we, we lopped off five weeks of unemployment insurance to pay for stimulus checks. Um, and I'm not opposing stimulus checks. Don't get me wrong. This is one of those situations where in December, we didn't have to make a choice between one another. We didn't have a mandated top line number. If we wanted to give people stimulus checks, we should have done 16 weeks of benefits plus stimulus checks. But we took away five weeks so that we could give stimulus checks. Now we're bumping up against a March 14th deadline and trying to race through this process because of the five weeks that we stole from the unemployed back in December. And oh, we're trying to steal from them again. And in, in terms of economic hardship, they are they are facing it the worst of all. Now, they need they need these stimulus survival checks in addition to their unemployment benefits. But, you know, robbing from robbing from Peter to pay Peter makes no sense. <laughs> well, and, and, and Judy, I was just seeing something came up from Economic Policy Institute uh, that this is last week. They were up at think one another million dollars, a million uh, uh, filings for UI. And that was like the 50th straight week of higher numbers than during the worst uh, year of the Great Recession. Yep. Is that? Yeah, this this is unparalleled since the program began. It's just, it is, it's hard to fathom how different this is than anything that's ever come before us. Because, I mean, we've just, we've got places that have been mandated, in the first instance, we're mandated to shut down. But, you know, in the second instance, it's it's hard under any circumstance to recover from any sort of recession or catastrophe. But right now, there's just, you know, there's not a lot of public confidence to go out in the world and frequent bars and restaurants and stores and everything else. Like people are trying to do what's necessary and a little bit more than that. But, you know, we just we're, we're not at a place yet where people can go out and be part of the economy as we would like them to. And we're also at a place where a lot of people are, are still forced to stay home and had to leave their jobs because they're dealing with childcare or caring for other family members that can't be um, at an adult daycare facility or can't have home care workers come in because of the risk. So there's just, there's so many problems. We are not out of the woods yet. One of the things we've really been stressing to Congress is, is another really important reason to get us through the month of September is, you know, in theory, by the end of the summer, everybody who wants to be vaccinated should be, in theory. I'm hoping, I'm praying, right? I see Chris Both crossing his fingers. Both fingers crossed. <laughs> exactly. And we, God willing, schools will be open again so parents can go back to work instead of mm-hmm. being home with mm-hmm. their kids if they need to go to work, right? So, um, a lot of things can change and, and we hope that they will, but we, we don't have the crystal ball yet to say that that will for sure be the case by the end of August. The final thing I will say, and I don't want to get too wonky, but unemployment is something we call a lagging indicator. Right. right? When right. In, in any economic hardship, when unemployment spikes, the recession will be over. We will be well into the recovery, but we still have high unemployment. It is one of the last things to recover. Like full employment is the final indicia of complete recovery. 
but it, it, it drags along with everything. So our schools will be open. We'll be vaccinated. People will be going back to work. Businesses will be opening back up, but that takes a little bit of a gradual ramping up time and people need to find new jobs. So it's not like we're all going to be vaccinated. Schools are open. And then the next day, everybody can go right back to work. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So we need these programs up and running for a, a good while longer. Judy Conti, what can, uh, what can folks who are listening who are concerned, what can they do? Uh, right now, we've got a, a campaign going on Twitter, and it's important to keep that going. We know that folks in Congress are, are uh, paying attention. Uh, hashtag extend UI to T-O O-C-T-3. Extend U-I-T-O-O-C-T-3. And your second hashtag is August is not enough. Um, I promise you the people that need to be seeing those hashtags are are paying attention and they're refreshing their screens. So if you have a moment and you, especially if you want to share your own story, that would be great. I understand a lot of your listeners here don't have senators to tweet at, but you can (laughs) certainly tag um, Senator Schumer or Senator Ron Wyden, W-Y-D-E-N, who runs the finance committee. Excellent. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll retweet that uh, at DC Labor and uh, the National Employment Law Project, where Judy works, is NELP News uh, at, at NELP News. Judy Conti, always wonderful to see you. And I don't even have to tell you to keep up the good work because you're in there every day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And it's good to see all of you and uh, great to talk to all of your listeners. And I hope to be here back here soon. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Thanks, Judy. Great job. Judy Conti. She's Government Affairs Director at the National Employment, Employment, easy for me to say, Law Project. All right. Uh, We also want to talk about something called Protect Worker Wednesdays, which sounds like it ought to be a regular thing. Uh, And also something called MUP. Chris Stevenson is an analyst for 1199SCIU, and he joins us now. And Chris Stevenson, what the heck is MUP? Uh, well, it's actually <laughs> MUPA. Uh, that's oh, the okay. acronym. <laughs> that's the acronym. I believe you're referring to the Maryland Central Workers. It is. Yes, that's the acronym uh, for the Maryland Central Workers Protection Act. Oh, that's so much, be- much better <laughs> than what I said. Maryland Essential <laughs> Workers Protection Act. And uh, I like Protect Worker Wednesdays. That has a good ring to it. What's that all about? Does that absolutely. mean we're only protecting workers on Wednesdays? Just on Wednesdays. The other six days are heck with them, right? Uh, absolutely. Well, one better Chris. than normal. <laughs> that, that's a great question. So every Wednesday, the, the coalition wants to make sure that we're actively doing things to make sure that we represent the needs of all workers. Of course, 1199, we represent healthcare workers, but this is not what this bill is about. Right. This bill is about protecting all essential workers. Uh, so even if it's an email campaign, even if it's calling uh, your state legislators to make sure uh, that they do have the best interest of all workers. And, and by that means in supporting this act. Right. Making sure that they do know the information and what's out there, the statistics and so forth, how this impacts everyday workers. That's what Essential Worker Wednesday is all about, making sure that we activate our stakeholders right, to make sure that they're representing all workers um, that are fighting through this pandemic. Now, this is interesting. So we were just talking about the Senate, you know, which, of course, is, you know, the highest level of government. This is, you know, right in our backyard. This is Annapolis, uh, which is a very, you know, local uh, level of government. Chris, just uh, 
sort of walk us through because I was uh, like we ran a story in, in Union City this morning about how you know uh, the business is down there kind of really uh, throwing their weight around and, and uh, tell us a little bit about how that works in Annapolis. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, Chris, that's a great question. We have a lot of different lobbyists for different things, right? Uh, we have lobbyists for businesses, which is uh, the lobbyists for businesses is the Chamber of Commerce, right? The Maryland Chamber of Commerce. We have lobbyists for other uh, business entities, such as retail, uh, such as restaurants and so forth. So what ends up happening is uh, when bills like this Maryland Central Workers Protection Act come out, a lot of businesses come together to kind of fight on the issues that they have with the bills. Right now, uh, some of the issues are health leave, right? A lot of businesses don't like the fact that essential workers need health leave uh, during this pandemic, right? But you and I both know, Chris, that um, not only did the CDC recommend at least 14 days at the start of this pandemic for workers to have um, health leave, but at the end of the day, we need to make sure that when workers are returning back to work, right, they're returning in a way that's safe, right? They're not returning in a way where um, they still are able to contaminate or to contract uh, COVID to other workers. Um, that's one of the issues. Another issue that a lot of businesses have is PPE, right? This shouldn't be an issue. We believe that all essential workers, uh, no matter what the work site that they work in, need um, protection uh, equipment, right? Because we know that uh, when it comes to contracting COVID, right, if we don't have our masks, if we don't have our gowns, if we don't have our gloves, right, people are able to contract COVID at an easier rate. Hazard pay has also been another big issue, right? But we have to ask ourselves, do we value our essential workers? Right. Every day when workers are going uh, to the grocery stores to work, right, to give us and, and enable us to purchase food. Right. When we're riding on the bus, when we're riding to healthcare facilities to get treated for COVID. Right. Are we actually valuing our workers? It's not enough to tell our workers. Thank you. It's not enough to give them a pat on the back. Right. What we have to do is make sure that we value them and we believe hazard pay at least at three dollars an hour. Right, would do that for our workers. Another issue, and 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 a, a, this is an issue that, you know, some businesses are fighting. Not all is an emergency action plan. Right, we want to make sure that when a worker and an employer goes to work, there is a plan available for the employees and the employers to know what to do during an emergency. Right, we 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 don't want another emergency to happen and workers not know. Okay, should I go to work today? Should I go to work tomorrow? What's my pay and benefits? What are they going to be? Um, are, is PPE going to be available? We want to make sure there's a plan in place for all employers and all uh, workers to know what's going to happen. And last but not least, Chris, I, I have to say this because uh, this has come up time and time again. This bill is not retroactive, right? We're not um, we're not saying that workers have to pay. Uh, or I'm sorry, employers have to pay their workers from the start of the pandemic in terms of hazard pay, in terms of, of leave, right? We're, we're saying when it comes to this bill passing, which this bill is an emergency bill, we want to make sure that the day that it passes and it goes into effect, right, employers will be providing um, this hazard pay and this leave to protect our essential workers. 
We're talking to Chris Stevenson. He's an analyst for 1199 SCIU. And before I go to uh, to Ed Smith, uh, I understand my sources tell me I, I, I use the wrong term. It's essential worker Wednesdays, although I kind of like protect worker Wednesdays. But if the, the official thing is essential workers Wednesday. So I stand corrected. Um, Ed Smith. Well, Chris, thanks for the work uh, that you're, you and 1199 SCIU are doing. Um, as you may know, I'm uh, with D.C. Nurses Association, and it's hard to believe. Here it is, March 3rd, 2021, and uh, we went in, DCNA went in to uh, close our offices, I believe, around March 10th. So it's be about one year. It's hard to believe we're still having to beg, borrow, and steal for PPEs. Mm -hmm. It drives me. I can understand some arguments people have on hazard pay. I mean, it's difficult to, you know, say who gets what, how they get it, all that. Um, I can see some debate on that. Um, but PPEs, to me, drives me crazy more than anything else. You're, you're, you, you call us heroes. I'm a hero. And then you don't want to give somebody the proper equipment to, to, so that they don't die and then and their patients don't die. I, I find it offensive that anybody would 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 have a, a, a backlash on that. So that's my rant for the moment. My question is, what is the backlash from uh, the, the restaurant industry, the, 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 the Chamber of Commerce, aside from it costs too much? Or are they saying, oh, we're providing it already? That, that's a great question, Ed. Um, many are saying that, right? Um, of course, their number one argument is that it costs too much. We're not going to be able to afford it. Um, other arguments say that businesses are simply going to be put out of business, right? Um, we, we know that when it comes to this bill, right, we want to provide the safety of workers first, right? Um, when you think about it, Ed, there wouldn't even be a business to begin with without the employees, Right. We just have to be very realistic about that. The employees are what make the any business run. Right. Um, so we want to make sure that the worker safety comes first. Right. Businesses can say all day and long. Well, we appreciate the workers. We're doing this for our workers. But if you're not giving them the basic necessities and the protections that they need in order to not do a crazy job, but just their ordinary job on a day to day basis then you're not doing what you should be doing as a business, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and we're, we're just not buying that. We're not buying um, that, you know, businesses can't afford it because we have seen, when it comes to the retail industry, Ed, we have seen that the retail industry has made so much profit throughout this pandemic, right? Grocery stores, liquor stores, even um, uh, other forms of retails like your Target, like your Walmart, et cetera. They have been Amazon. making- Amazon. And Amazon, thank you so much. They have been making an incredible amount of profit, right? Why not show that thanks to your workers by giving them these protections? Well, I will say this and then turn it over to Chris. I've been I've been uh, helping out the local liquor store industry very much in the past year. Chris. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, Ed Smith, and I'm sure you're up for the job. Uh, Chris Stevenson, before we let you go, what can folks uh, do to help this effort? Absolutely. Um, folks, I'm asking if folks would please go to protectmdworkers.org. I'm going to say that one more time, protectmdworkers.org. And we're asking all essential workers, right, families, workers, um, everyone 
in Maryland, if, if, if they can, to give their um, state legislators a call. Tell them that this bill needs to be passed, right? We cannot wait. The urgency is now. We have over 380,000 cases of COVID in the state, right? We have close to 8,000 deaths in the state due to COVID. We cannot wait. The urgency is now. We cannot wait um, to either push this legislation off or to wait for this legislation to be enacted. So I'm going to say it one more time, uh, Chris, if everyone can please go to protectmdworkers.org, sign up, um, get involved, call your uh, state legislators and tell them that this bill needs to be passed. And for the record, the House bill is HB 581 and the Senate bill is SB 486. Chris Stevenson, thank you so much for, for being down there in Annapolis so that we don't have to go there, frankly. We're very happy to take care of that, but also this is a great campaign. We'll be getting the word out and uh, keep us posted and good luck, man. Thank you so much, Chris. And I want to say another uh, big thanks to all of our coalition partners. Without them, this wouldn't be possible because you have unions of all across the state um, putting in work to make sure that we pass this bill. So thank you to them as well. All right. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Chris Stevenson, he's an thank analyst with 1199SCIU. And again, uh, that website that he mentioned, Protect mdworkers.org. Lots of good information there. All right, Ed Smith, where the contributions are rolling in, we're, we're, uh, we're getting, working our way towards our goal, 202. What's that number again? You're, you're the numbers, man. I am good at numbers. 202-588-9739. Outside the area code, if you're in Alaska and you want to call us. Although probably, you're, probably, <laughs> you're probably not hearing me. I don't think we've got a lot of Alaska listeners, but hey, what the heck? It's possible. Uh, 1-800-222-9739. And certainly on the web, if you're into Iland, you can pledge on WPFWFM.org. And then another one other way of uh, contributing is if you have the cash app, you can uh, put the dollar sign WPFW and pledge your amount. No amount too I small. Or too large. We like large contributions. Like large and, contributions. And, and, and the way to think about it is, you know, think about, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks a month. Uh, it's not too much when you break it down by the day, but it really makes a huge difference for the station. Uh, they can budget uh, throughout the year. Uh, it's very uh, manageable. Uh, obviously, if it's, if it's an issue, uh, then, you know, just keep on listening and we appreciate the support. I do have some information from Magic Mike on the boards there on the hoodie. Here is the skinny on the hoodie. It is a limited edition. I was right about that. It's an anniversary edition because, of course, uh, this last Monday was the anniversary of WPFW's founding. So how cool is that? It's a zippered black hoodie, has a white draw cord, zipper tape, metal zipper. It's got pockets because you've got to have pockets. Uh, $89.30 uh, or more, uh, you'll, you can get one of those. 44 years of jazz and justice. They've got, uh, oh, it's got a kangaroo pocket. Uh, maybe somebody can call and tell us what that is. I'm not sure what that is. That's the pocket like, with the no pouch. zipper. The one that has a zipper aren't kangaroo pockets. Thank you, Mike. All right. <laughs> I tell you, is there anything you don't know, Mike? Well, don't forget to tell them about that the the cool flag on the side with the forty four on there. You know what I mean? Are you tell? I mean, are you are you wearing one? I mean, what's the deal? You we know, had you the, the, the black hoodies. Track, I mean, I'm getting one. It's a black right. hoodie, 
They have the one with the zipper. They have the one without the zippers with the kangaroo pockets. But look, oh, they're black, and I on the side they have the DC flag with no the 44 zipper. in there, and on the chest the WPFW logo. I mean, they're they're tight. Oh man, you and limited. Here's the key, folks: limited edition. Let me say that one more time: limited edition. What that means is order them now because when they're gone, they're going to be gone. So uh, uh, I hope these are uh, U.S. made. By the way, I always uh, you know it's always uh, <laughs> not sure where they came from, but uh, U.S. and, and Union made. But we uh, one, one would hope so. Uh, anyway, we won't yell at Jerry. WPFWFM.org uh, to pledge online and uh, help us uh, wrap up this fundraising drive. Hey, you know, uh, Chris, I, I want to jump in. Uh, I want you to know out there, audience, that it really does matter to us, me and Chris, when we get a pledge and we get two or three pledges. It, it just you know, we feel really good about it. And we, we want to let you know that it, it helps us connect with you. So when you do pledge, know that Chris and I really take that to heart, even if it's $25 or $250, it all, it, it, to me anyway, um, to me, the amount doesn't matter. Obviously we want to have, we have certain goals, but to me, the fact that you care enough to even just call on the phone or, or get online, that, that is a big thing. So I wanted you to know that you are appreciated. Thank you, Ed Smith. You are listening to Your Rights at Work, Chris and Ed. Uh, we're going to have a little musical break when we come back. Reunion, how bold labor reforms can repair, revitalize, and reunite the United States. Can't wait to find out how that's going to work. We've got David Madland, who's going to tell us all about that. But uh, first, we've got a little song. You haven't heard this one before. So uh, let's, let's, let's roll this, uh, Michael. wasn't built by Wall Street. It was built by the middle class, and unions built the middle class. Unions put power in the hands of workers. They level the playing field. They give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages, protections from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. The National Labor Relations Act didn't just say that unions are allowed to exist. It said that un we should encourage unions. So let me be really clear. It's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union. But let me be even more clear. It's not up to an employer to decide that either. The choice to join a union is up to the workers. Full stop. Full stop. Today and over the next few days and weeks, workers in Alabama and all across America are voting on whether to organize a union in their workplace. This is vitally important, a vitally important choice as America grapples with the deadly pandemic, the economic crisis, and the reckoning on race, what it reveals the deep disparities that still exist in our country. And there should be no intimidation no coercion, no threats, no anti-union propaganda. No supervisor. No supervisors should confront employees about their union preferences. 
You know, every worker should have a free and fair choice to join a union. The law guarantees that choice. And it's your right, not that of an employer. It's your right. No employer can take that right away. So make your voice heard. God bless you all, and may God protect the workers and their families who are trying to figure out how to make it fairly. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. to work with Chris and Ed. That, of course, uh, Pete Seeger and the uh, the other fellow there was uh, somebody that uh, President Joe Biden didn't recognize. <laughs> Here's the thing, and I want to go to our guest because, you know, that, that audio, uh, the White House released that audio Sunday night. And, uh, you know, there has not been, at least in my memory, uh, such a strong pro- Union pro worker statement from an American president, and and I, well, let, let's ask somebody who probably knows better than me, David Medlin. He's a senior fellow, strategic director at the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. He's got a brand new book uh, coming out just this month on reunion: how bold labor reforms can repair, revitalize, and reunite the United States. Uh, David, uh, can, let me just get you to react to my little mashup there with uh, with Pete and Joe. <laughs> Well, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, you, I, you, certainly in my lifetime, no president has made any sort of statement uh, as bold as President Biden did about the importance of joining union and encouraging workers that it's the workers' choice. You know, the sort of historically, the sort of you have to go back to Franklin Roosevelt um, to anything similar. And even there, you know, the, you saw the posters, you know, the president wants you to join the union, but it was a question of which president we were referring to, whether it was a you know, union president that wants you to join or President Roosevelt. Um, so I take this as a really strong and important signal of the administration's direction um, that the president really wants people to join unions. And, and to me, this, and if I'm talking too long, you cut me off and ask questions, but this really leads into the heart of my book of why this is so important. And the reason the president wants and he's, you know, people to be able to join unions is they can help address the core problems our country faces right now. And those among those are stagnant wages for decades, near record levels of economic inequality, huge racial uh, and gender pay gaps and a democracy that's not responsive enough to the people. And so he's really saying in order to, this is going to help. This is for you, but it's also for all of us. Yeah, and that was what struck me, you know, I mean, honestly, when it, when it first came out, I thought, uh, you know, because things that come out for the president of the United States, I mean, normal presidents anyway, are, are not usually pretty bland. And and, and when presidents in, in our lifetimes have talked about unions, they usually talk about them in very careful, you know, I mean, they don't want to, they don't want to piss off bosses they don't you know because and then frankly i think it's because they know that we're going to do things like i just did we're going to take a statement like that and we are just going to run with it 
Um, you know, going back to the FDR thing, I mean, he did say, you know, if I were in, uh, you know, if I were in a factory, I would join a union. And, and that's what winds up on posters. You know, it's probably not the pull quote he was looking for. But, you know, but your your book actually not only makes the points you were just talking about, but it also kind of points out some things that Ed and I are very familiar, which is, you know, there, there are also some, some, let's say some issues with, with our with our labor movement as well. Yeah, so you know, what I'm I argue that I think we can do more than just sort of strengthen the existing labor movement and the existing structures we have, um, but we can build upon them and do things that will um, improve results for unions as well as society. And so one of those things I am really interested in is moving. Right now, most of our bargaining is collective bargaining, as you you and your listeners are well aware, is mostly workplace by workplace. So you unionize a shop and then you negotiate with that particular employer and you may or may not be able to get a, get a raise there. And while that can definitely lead to very good results, a uh, complementary way of, of doing things is to bargain across an entire sector. So most of the workers in the sector, much of the sectors unionize, and then all workers in that sector, all employers have to pay the collectively bargained rates and those lead that leads to a lot of good things the first and most important thing is much many more workers are covered so you don't just have the you know you have coverage of near 100% that means a lot more workers are getting raises it also means that employers have to compete based on their on raising productivity not trying to slash wages or undercut standards um, it also does more to reduce uh, economic inequality and especially racial and gender inequality than workplace by workplace bargaining. Workplace by workplace bargaining, again, is good, but when you complement it, when you have a broad sector that's setting the, the overall standards and then you have some level of bargaining at the workplace, that tends to lead to the best results. And so I'm pushing for things like that. Let me bring uh, my, my uh, co-host, uh, Ed Smith, in. And Ed, Ed works with the D.C. Nurses Association and is one of those folks who actually does, uh, you know, go out there and, and bargain contracts. So I think he knows exactly, you know, what you're talking about, some of the pitfalls of having to negotiate sort of workplace by workplace. Right, Ed? Uh, yeah, I also wanted to make a comment <clears throat> on Biden's audio. <clears throat> I, I share your, your comments and your thoughts about uh, um, how unique it was, but what what really touched me is how plain spoken it was. It was not gobbledygook. It was a man that is really well rehearsed speaking from his heart. And it's it was a very plain spoken, intelligent message that was pretty forceful. Um, and thanks, Chris, for putting that out in audio, because I hadn't heard the audio. I've only read the text and the audio is really impressive. Um, yeah, I think my biggest thing with um, sectoral bargaining, and I think maybe you can help educate the audience a little bit more on that. It seems to me that this was done back in the 40s and 50s with um, the mine workers and the auto workers. And uh, so uh, comment on that and why that uh, was successful for them. I know that it is an internal union discussion. There is a lot of debate on sectoral bargaining, but just flesh out the um, the idea of it for the audience a little bit more. Yeah. So we, you know, as you mentioned, we have a history of doing this in the United States, not as much as in other countries, but we have some history. You mentioned auto um, and coal and steel. We also in 
you know, communications. We still do it in railroads. We did it in trucking. We have, you know, not perfectly. And in our system, the only place we were able to do it is when we got very, very, very high density, almost a hundred percent. And that enabled unions to have the power to force all employers to the, to the table. In other countries, they help, they help set up structures that when unions reach a level of density, maybe 30% or something, they can, can sort of force the system to cover all workers. And so our system, what we had, and it worked quite well as it, it worked, it led to high wages for workers. It's, and the benefits that those collectively bargain wages actually spread out to other industries. Auto really, you know, tra- this in some ways was the model that transformed the American middle class. It made the middle class. This, it also made American auto industry quite successful. They, people, the industry had stable costs for a long time. They could, they really, it, it was good for both parties, both employers and workers. Um, but it, it fell apart when the auto companies didn't innovate and unions lost density and then they couldn't hold the bargain together. And so to me, and you, we want to um, do a lot of things to strengthen unions so they have more power to bring unions, bring employers to the table. But we also don't want it to be so fragile as our older system where you need near 100% density to keep people in the system. And if I can just sort of talk a little bit more about the how difficult it can be to do collective bargaining in the workplace by workplace environment, you know, your listeners are aware, but, you know, think of the things that employers can do when you're just bargaining at a work site. Sometimes they close down that shop. Sometimes, you know, they'll try to double breast. They'll um, do, they'll fissure their workplace. They'll subcontract it out. They'll do, they have a lot of tool, more tools than they would when you can set a broader set of uh, standards that cover all workers, no matter sort of how the employer configures the work. And so, you know, to me, it, it helps solve some of the, the core problems that we have getting to a, a contract as well. We're talking with David Madland. He's a senior fellow and strategic director of the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. He's got a new book out, Reunion, How Bold Labor Reforms Can Repair, Revitalize, and Reunite the United States. Let's take a quick call here. Hey, you're on your right to work. What's your, uh, what's your question or comment? Um, I, there we go. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. My comment was just uh, to comment on the uh, the audio we heard where Biden's message of, uh, you know, not necessarily supporting the union, but saying, hey, they're going to vote. Union's a good thing. But my thing is Biden, throughout all of his uh, campaign promises and everything, he's just been a big talk. You know, $2,000 checks. Fourteen hundred dollars plus six hundred dollars. You know, he's a lot of back talk. You know, and plus we haven't even got our checks, but we still bombed Syria. That's awesome. My point is, I'd like to hear Biden talk about Amazon directly. I mean, Amazon has been known to change the lights, so nobody could talk talk about union. I'd like to see actual, instead of just nice words and just saying, "Oh, this is a nice president. He said nice words." I'd like to see see us actually want action. Because all, 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 all I hear is, yay, he said something nice. That's all I have Good. to say. Thank you so much. And, and I think a lot of us in the movement uh, w- would agree with that. I, I guess the one thing I would say is that 
uh, in a movement we've gotten. The bar has been so lowered, David Madlin, that that when when we even get just nice words, well, we're, we're, we're kind of happy to get even those, right? Well, well, also you got to be careful. I mean, he can't. I mean, there are laws that talk about neutrality, so it's you can't really say I want you to vote yes because Amazon has been a bad player and 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 they've been doing ULP unfair we, labor. We, we, we can we can say that though. <laughs> we can say that, but it's you know a president. That's so I get the caller's sense of frustration. Trust me, I get it. I uh, wish he would have said Amazon's horrible. You need a union there. He he just can't go there, and and no president could go there. Even if we had President Bernie Sanders, I don't think Bernie would could have gone much further. Well, let's go back to David, and we've just got a couple more minutes, David. But I mean, to to the caller's point, to Ed's point, uh, to the broader point of all these laws. I mean, I took one. I mean, Ed's an actual lawyer. I, I took one labor law class. And it was enough to realize that I did not want to spend my life trying to, you know, work around all of the, you know, you can pick it here, but you can't pick it there. Your sign can say this, but it can't say that. And, you know, you got people that are, you know, that are just saying the heck with these rules. I'm just going to walk out. I'm just going to, you know, I mean, so there's, there's the law and then there's what workers want to do. Right. And I think somewhat your book kind of gets into some of that. Right. Yeah. That's the, you know, to me, you need both organized workers taking risks and striving and fighting and demanding change, as well as a better labor system that enables their power and interest to actually lead to change. Because right now, our system makes it way too hard. You get the workers mobilized, and then the law grinds their efforts into, you know, far too often into too little. And so we want the law to be on their side in lots of ways. The law making it giving them actually rights so that you don't have to worry about is this a secondary boycott or or what that you're not going to be replaced <laughs> by a striker and all real rights but also then when you're bargaining that your contract is going to set the standards for the sector and we also want you know as much as possible the government to encourage workers to join unions the policy to be you know as the the preamble of the National Labor Relations Act is about encouraging unionization but at most it's really creating a set of rights where you could um and instead, to make that real, you want to have things to encourage and incentivize, make it as easy as possible for unions to uh, get access to workers, make it as easy as possible to work, get worksite access, get, uh, be able to, you know, deliver real benefits to workers, not just their contract negotiated benefits, but also be um, integrated into the sort of benefits delivery system. They, they're helping get, get the health care that you know, a lot of unions already do through sort of Taft-Hartleys and the like. But to really have unions be the a central way workers benefit and the government recognizing that role and in, therefore encouraging unionization. And so it's this both, you need both. You need the active workers on the ground and you need the law. And you can't, you can't succeed without both. David, thanks so much for being on the show and for bringing up this, this new book. Uh, it's called Reunion, How Bold Labor Reforms Can Repair, Revitalize, and Reunite the United States. We need all of those R's, David. So uh, we will put a link in our show notes. I'm sure you can find it uh, all kinds of places, including those that I can't mention here on the show. But uh, thank you so much for being with us, David. Any final thoughts before we go? No, pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, you know, keep up the good work. You too, brother. You too. Thanks so much. 
David Madland. He is Senior Fellow and strate Strategic, easy for me to say, Strategic Director of the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. Again, his book is Reunion, How Bold Labor Reforms Can Repair, Revitalize, and Reunite the United States. There's some, uh, some reading for you there, Ed Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Great, uh, great uh, guest today. And uh, this is what we do here, Chris, right? It is, but uh, what, we, what we need to do a little bit more of is uh, get, get some of those uh, fundraising dollars coming in. Want to give folks a number as we, uh, we head yeah, on out the door? Yeah, you know, I really don't want to have to hunt people down. <laughs> but he I mean, will. He we will, are, folks. <laughs> we are in a pandemic, so I'll be double masked. So if you see a, a, a short white guy with a beard at your, at your doorstep in a double mask, you better pull out your checkbook. Uh, if you don't want that to happen, please call. Are you going to bring your guitar? Well, if they got $150 in the checkbook, <laughs> I'll bring my guitar and play. You know, I'll be a 10, 20 feet away from them. 202 588 9739 to pledge. 1 800 222 9739 to pledge. Online, wpfwfm.org and Cash App dollar sign WPFW. Uh, we're in the, uh, nearing the end of the pledge drive and uh, me and Chris, uh, we haven't been able to report anything today. So let's, you know, call in, let us report something. Make no, us we've actually good. gotten, we've, no, we've got a couple of, a uh, couple of contributions, including oh. somebody who, uh, who's uh, not only a big fan of PFW and your rights at work, a uh, big fan of the Sunday uh, Latin jazz show. Oh, uh, I am so a big fan of that, too. Big, big fan. Good, good stuff. So but I can hit, hit the bell? You can hit the bell a couple of times there, brother. Absolutely. But we got a couple of more contributions to go. We need some folks to uh, to reach deep into their pocket. And and here's the thing. We, we only do a few of these a year. I know when we're in them, people feel like they're interminable. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, it, here's here's the truth of it. And and we start out this show talking about money. And we're going to end the show talking about money. I mean, but here's the thing. We're not talking about one point nine trillion dollars here, folks. Uh, we're just we're just trying to raise seven fifty here in this show. So I think we can do that. Uh, but the reality is that money makes the world go round. You know, PFW, uh, they run a very you know, terrific operation. Been doing it for 44 years now. Um, you know, just so. And a tight ship. And a tight ship. Tight. No, very no. little wasted. Very little wasted money. And of course, uh, 90, 95% of the people you hear are volunteers. Absolutely. Uh, a few workers there. And me and Chris, of course, volunteer our time. And so hopefully you can volunteer a few dollars, maybe even get a hoodie. Yeah, got to get it. Show, show your support. Show your support. So give them that number and that contact information one so, more time. As we so the hoodie, is, the hoodie is 80, a pledge of $89.30. And you can contact us with that pledge at 202-588-9739-1-800-222-9739 or online at wpfwfm.org or on cash app with the dollar sign wpfw that's getting real good at that i'm starting to think you probably wake up in the middle of the night you know just sort of say, hey just give us a call and you're watching what the heck are you talking about <laughs> you know chris i love wpfw but i am not waking up from dreams okay uh, uh pitching the pledge uh, yes. all right folks that's gonna do it for this week's edition thanks so much for listening we'll see you all next week stay safe stay healthy and keep those contributions coming thanks for listening all right take care everybody take care chris you bet this is 
a public service announcement. 